message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Karen, it's great to be with you this morning. Can you hear me? Is that working? Yeah? Great. Okay, it's good to see you. I just wanted to say, I thought the worship team were fantastic. Guys, you are really rocking. Where, where, where'd you go? Where have they gone? Are they? Oh, fantastic. Really enjoyed that, guys. You're really gifted. It was excellent. Okay, just to tell you a bit about myself, as Graham said, my name's Spencer. I come from Dorchester Family Church. Dorchester is a small, uh, middle-class uh, town in Dorset and if you'd described to me hell before I became a Christian that would have been the description you would have given me I came from London I wanted to be in the big city and what God did was he took me right out of there took me to a little town in the kind of what I thought was the middle of nowhere middle of Dorset but it was in that place that I kind of met with God and really my whole life uh, changed and so we, we live down in, in Dorset we're part of Dorchester Family Church and um, basically before I became a uh, a Christian before I became a believer in Jesus, I was a heroin addict. So my life was totally and utterly messed up. I'd tried treatment, that hadn't worked. I'd tried counselling, that hadn't worked. I'd tried all kinds of things. And, and really what got me into drugs was I, I, I had a, a sort of mindset of there's got to be more to life. You know, there's got to be something in life. And so my pursuit of sort of to be satisfied and find fulfilment took me into experimenting with drugs and took me down that path and what happened was it never delivered, it never fulfilled me and in the end it took everything from me and I ended up in a psychiatric hospital in Dartford in North Kent, absolutely broken, totally helpless and a man came onto the ward that I was on, this, this hospital ward doing this detox and he basically told me about God and he told me uh, basically that Jesus could meet my needs. And, and, and it was kind of like, are you thirsty? Well, Jesus can quench your thirst. And, and I just, in meeting him, in the discussion with him, I just started to think, maybe that's true. And he began to tell me about a God who'd made me, who loved me, who had a plan, a destiny for me, a God who could forgive me, who I, who, who, who I could know intimately. And, 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 and at that point, something happened in me, something changed in me, and I started to think, uh, you know, maybe you can have a relationship with God. Maybe God is true. And before that, I had no concept of God whatsoever. I, didn't, I hadn't been to church. If someone said to me, do you believe in God? I'd say, no, I'm an atheist. But basically, in that encounter, in what he described to me, it, it, it opened up to me a whole new sort of way of viewing life, a whole new possibility opened up to me in God. And really, what I'm hoping to do this morning is to, do, is to deliver the same thing to you. I want to bring to you a picture of a God who you can know, who you can interact with, who's got a plan, a purpose, a destiny for your life, a God who wants to forgive you, heal you, and a God who you can really, really know. So that's what I'm going to aim to do this morning. And uh, the title of my message is called this, Are You Thirsty? So are you thirsty? Anyone thirsty in this place? And uh, basically, um, most people, when you speak to them and you say to them, what are you doing in life? Like, what's your motivation in life? They will say, I'm trying to find fulfilment. I'm trying to find meaning and purpose. They're saying, that's, you know, that's really what I'm about. And many of us, we don't ever think of it like that. We don't ever kind of go about going, oh, I'm seeking meaning and purpose in my life. But actually, the things we do are, are evidence that that's what we're doing. So I want to t- talk to you about a few people 
in our society who are thirsting for something, they're looking for something. And um, I believe that there's three main things that people are looking for. When you ask sociologists or psychologists, what are the main things people need or, or, or desire, they'll tell you that there is a need for love, there is a need for significance, and there's a need for security. So basically, if you can attain those things, you, you, you can be fulfilled. And so people are on a, a mission, if you like, to attain these things. First person is this, a young girl, she will sleep with any guy who shows interest in her. She moves from relationship to relationship, looking for someone who will accept her unconditionally. What she's looking for is love. She's not getting it from, 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 from the behaviour and from what she's doing, but that's what she's looking for. A middle-aged man contemplates suicide because he feels that he's lost his self-respect after being made redundant and unable to find meaningful employment. What's happening is he's thirsting for significance. He's saying, my job gave me a significance, a purpose, a destiny, if you like. And now that's been taken from me, I'm a no one, I'm a nothing. I have no significance. Finally, a couple are due to retire. They've been saving up for years towards their retirement. They've been prudently putting away, investing their money into a pension that's on the stock market. Just before they're going to retire, there's a crash in the stock market and their shares plummet and suddenly from a comfortable pension they go to virtually nothing overnight and what they're looking for is security they're, they're thinking I, I just if I could attain that financial money I'd be secure and so you see when you look at people and you look at life people are generally trying to be fulfilled they're trying to attain love significance security and a God he hits this Right head on. He, he do, as, as God does, I'll tell you, God does not mince his words, which I'm really pleased about, because otherwise I would have never got it. I'm quite thick. So God tells you really straight how things are. And in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, he describes this very thing. He describes how people are looking for, for, for meaning and purpose, that they're after love, significance, security. They're chasing after many things to attain it, and nothing's working. And uh, what I love about this passage in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2, so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to that with me. Jeremiah chapter 2. And... Um, What's happened, this is written 2,500 years ago, and nothing's different. Nothing's different. People were trying all kinds of things to find fulfilment. Now, just as when you found that, Jeremiah 2, we're going to look at uh, verse 13. So 2,500 years ago, everyone's looking for meaning, everyone's looking for purpose. They're trying this, they're trying that. This is what God says, Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. What God's saying is two things. One, people have turned their backs on him and his ways. And two, instead they've tried to receive fulfilment through striving for other things. And I want to say to you that I believe that picture 2,500 years ago is exactly the same picture of what you see today. People are striving, they're yearning, they're chasing for something. They're saying, if I can attain it, I'll be fulfilled. If I can get a hold of it, I can be satisfied. And what God's saying is, well, well hang on a minute. It's me that can satisfy you. It's God that you're really looking for. And, uh, but the people can't see it. You know, God's saying this through his scripture. He's brought a man, Jeremiah, he's speaking it, but people, they can't quite hear it. They're not quite grasping it. And uh, people will go to great lengths to, to find fulfilment. Uh, I was watching um, a show on MTV called um, I Want a Famous Face. 
Who's seen that show on MTV? I think it's on TMF as well. I want a famous face. Anyone going to admit to seeing it? No one's going to. Good church. It's good that you don't watch this show. This basically in this show, I only purely watch it to use it for illustration, you know, purposes. Basically. In this show, what happens is people come onto the show and they are going to have plastic surgery so that they can look like their favourite star. And basically what they are saying, I mean it's, a, it's funny but it's also terribly sad. What they're basically saying is, if I can look like Britney Spears, if I can look like Mariah Carey, if I can look like Brad Pitt, then basically I will be fulfilled, I will have purpose, my life will have meaning, I will be someone. And so often I hear this phrase, I will be someone. And it breaks my heart because I think, well, you are someone. God made you, he created you, God's got a plan, a purpose, a destiny for you. But instead, what they're saying is, well, no, no, I want to be like Brad Pitt. Or like, then I'll have worth, then I'll have meaning. And I saw this one guy, um, he was a college student, and he thought that if he had surgery to make his foot -like face look like Ricky Martin, then he would get the girl that he wanted and that she'd date him. Guess what? He got the surgery. He looked a lot more like Ricky Martin. Did the girl date him? No. No, she wasn't interested at all. It changed nothing as far as she was concerned. I saw another episode where there was a girl who thought that if she had breast enlargement, plastic surgery on her face, her hair styled, all to look like Britney Spears, then she would get her dream job and man. Guess what? She didn't. In fact, I've never seen this show. I mean, the people who go on this show need to watch the show before they go on there. Because I've never seen anyone at the end say, I'm totally fulfilled now. I look like, you know, Jessica Simpson, and I am totally fulfilled. You know, you never get that. What you always get is before they're going, if I can look like this person, I will be fulfilled. There'll be meaning and purpose. Everything will come to me in my life. They attain it, and they say, oh, it's, it's lacking something. And they either say, I need more surgery, or they say, no, I need something else now. So they're on an endless pursuit of trying to attain something that will give them meaning and purpose, and it never fulfills. It never delivers. God also describes it, he describes that process or that feeling as broken cisterns. What he's saying is, he's saying, he says cisterns that cannot hold water. Cisterns are a thing that's supposed to hold water. And basically what God's saying is you pour into it, you pour into it, you pour into it, but it just leaks right out, leaks right out. So it's kind of like a big clay pot with a massive crack in it. So you're pouring this water and, and when you get to the level of fill this pot up, you'll be fulfilled. But as fast as you're putting it in, it's flowing out the bottom, it's flowing out the bottom. And that's the pattern he's talking about, that people are trapped in. That if I can attain this, if I get that, then I'll be, but they can't hold it. It seems to just flow out of this pot. My people have committed two sins, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. God goes on because, as I say, people are slow on the uptake. People don't quite grasp the whole systems thing, forsaking God. So God goes on to describe it like this. He uses the word idol. And basically, in Jeremiah's day, people would build idols for themselves out of wood and stone. And they would like pray to them and ask them for things. And now, nowadays, it's probably unlikely that you do that. But likewise, what we do is we put our trust in things that aren't God, that actually created things, and we expect them to deliver things that actually only God can deliver. So whereas the people of God were turning to idols and praying to them and asking them that was offending God, now in a similar way we turn to things. So if I can look like that, I'll be fulfilled. If I can get that job, I'll be satisfied. If I can find the right relationship, I'll be fulfilled. There's things that we constantly 
build up things that are from God that actually created things that we want to make into a God, that we want to fulfil us. And a good example of that is, is this. Let me explain like this. I want to attain money because it will give me security. Okay, so then what happens is money becomes an idol. What I'm saying is money is my security. If I can attain it and hold it and keep a hold of enough of it, I'll be secure. But God is saying, no, trust in the one who, who has authority over all money. He's saying trust in the provider of money. Don't put your faith in money, in, made, in man-made things. Put your trust in God, the one who controls and ultimately has authority over all things. That's what he's saying. I mean, one of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. It means the God who provides. God wants us to know him, have a relationship with him. He wants to provide for us. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to be thinking, oh, money, if I can attain money, I'll I'll be secure. God's saying, you can't be secure in that. You know that you can go around your whole life attaining money and in an instant it can be gone. And we're in a climate now where the economy is looking a bit rocky. People are starting to lose their homes. Things are happening. All of a sudden, oh, it's not so secure, is it? You can't actually put your trust in these things. Actually, ultimately, it's God we need to put trust in. So God's saying, watch out for that. Watch out for idols. He goes on to describe that when we're living in that way, putting trust in idols, broken systems, that kind of living, that what it produces is like a striving and a slavery within us. So we're now striving to satisfy our need to feel loved, significant and secure. We can end up in a dark place, uh, which basically ends up in enslavement. Very often the thing that we think will fulfil us actually ends up holding us in like a bondage. Should have changed this a long time ago. That's better, isn't it? Okay. Just breaking the microphone. (laughs) Okay, that's better. So what God is saying is that actually the things that we give ourselves to, that we believe will fulfill us, actually can end up enslaving us. And uh, as I said earlier, God doesn't mince his words, he's straight to the point, and actually he's quite offensive at times. And this is how he describes it. And uh, he says this, he says, you are a swift she-camel. This is Jeremiah 2, 23 to 25, in case you don't believe me. Jeremiah 2, 23 to 25, it says, You are a swift she-camel, running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her? Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. Basically, God is using like an offensive snow. He's saying you're like a randy camel. Basically, he's going around sniffing on the air, looking where, you know, where he can get into some trouble, basically. That's what he's saying. You're like a randy camel. When I went, I thought, that's offensive. I can't believe God would say that to me. And then I went on and it, went, it said this. It said, you're like a prostitute who will lay down under any tree. You know, what God's saying is that his people, the people who he created, who he loves, who he wants to relationship with, have given themselves to all these other things. They're chasing after this, chasing after that. And ultimately, it it enslaves people. Let me tell you, no one wakes up one morning with an eating disorder. No one wakes up one morning addicted to heroin. And no one wakes up one morning with a desire to look at child pornography. They make a series of wrong choices that they believe will deliver fulfillment. And it takes them right down a dark path that they never envisaged they would go one step at a time they go further and further into slavery and that's why God uses such offensive language is he's trying to shock us and startle us he's saying this is serious you're getting trapped you're being led into a bondage into a slavery 
And basically, that is a perfect testimony or a perfect example of my story, really, of how I began using drugs. It was fun. It was, I, I, I was experiencing things that I thought I wouldn't experience without drugs. I was, I was like, um, you know, enjoying it. it I, I got fun from it. But what happened was that I, I continued, it continued to require more and more of me. And I continued to need to go further and further to get the same enjoyment I got the first time. And in the end, I became absolutely consumed and possessed by drugs where I was on the streets of Soho in London and all I could think about was the next hit of heroin, the next hit of crack cocaine. Absolutely enslaved. But it started off way back just with using some cannabis with my friends. It seems such a small thing and it led me down a path of slavery. Why? Because I was putting my trust and I was looking to something to fulfil me that could never deliver. It's true, isn't it? Okay, listen to this. God goes on, he says this. He talks about the hidden valley in verse 23. He says this. How can you say, I am not defiled? See how you have behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. And what God's saying is that in this pursuit and desire to be fulfilled and to receive love and significance and and security, we can turn to things that we basically know are wrong and that we do in secret, but because they have a payoff, because they deliver something, and this is the thing, with all these things I'm talking about, I'm not saying they don't give you something, of course they do, but it doesn't ultimately fulfill you, it's short-lived, it's lacking, it doesn't satisfy, and it costs you so much, and what God's saying is, stop turning to them things, turn to me. To give you an example of a couple of things that happen in the valley, a couple of hidden things, is something like internet pornography. Since the internet's been available and people can view pornography in the, in the privacy of their own homes or in their own bedroom, the use of pornography has soared. Why is that? That's because a lot of people would not walk into a seedy sex shop and go and buy some pornography. They just wouldn't do that. But in the secret place, in the place of their own home, in the privacy of their own home, they're, they're lured into and they get into that kind of behaviour. Similarly, internet has, has meant that gambling has become an issue with women. Before, gambling's never been a major issue with women. But when you look at stats now, now, women with problem gamblers who are women is rising rapidly as never seen before. And the reason is because they're doing it on the internet. They're at home, they're in that secret place. They wouldn't go into a betting shop. They wouldn't be comfortable doing that. But in that secret place, they can. And what God's saying is, I see what goes on in that secret place. And he's saying, I want to set you free from that. I don't want you to be enslaved with that. With that kind of behaviour, that, that, that when we're doing something which we know is wrong and we keep it in secret, what happens with that is you become become ashamed and shame traps you and what God's saying is that he wants you to get out of that he wants to set you free from that he wants to give you the fulfillment that you're looking for in that thing that has only brought you bondage he wants to bring you right out of that and I want to say to you that there is nothing that you can do that is too offensive that God cannot forgive there's nothing you can do. There's no, you can't go too far there's no shame that's too great God can forgive you of anything also, I want to say this, that God's longing for us, it actually causes him sadness and pain. So this isn't like a God, a distant God, who's kind of looking down and saying, you are doing stuff that is wrong. Stop going after idols. Stop doing this. What his motivation is that he loves us, longs for us, wants to know us, wants relationship with us. And so he is hurting. He says, uh, there's lots of different passages in here that portray it, but one passage, it says this, verse 32, it says, young women don't forget their jewellery, do they? 
Brides don't show up without their veils, do they? Yet my people have forgotten me. Day after day, they never give me a thought. What God's saying is, little things in life, jewellery, you know, you go into something like a wedding, you wear the right stuff. And yet when it comes to God, when it comes to me, the one who made them and created them, he's saying, they couldn't care less. Couldn't care less about me. There's a pain, there's a yearning in God's heart. Why? Because he sees people getting into all kinds of problems and patterns of behaviour that promise to fulfil and they never do. And he's saying, come to me for crying out loud. It's like he's saying, come on, wake up, come to me, I can meet your needs. And so as the final stage of what I want to bring to you, I want to say this, if you're thirsty, if today you're thirsty, then you can come to Jesus. If today you're thinking, well, yes, Spencer, I can identify with some of what you're saying. I can identify with a sense of looking for something, looking for fulfillment, fulfillment for purpose, for a plan for my life. What I want to say to you, you can have that by coming to Jesus. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well and he gives an invitation to this woman that he extends to everyone here today. And he says to her, if you are to ask me, I will give you living water. So Jesus says to the woman, if you ask Ask me, I will give you living water. What he means by that is I will give you what will fulfill you, what will satisfy you. I'll give you purpose, meaning he's talking about love, significance, security. He wants to give those things to us. And he says this to the, to the woman at the well. And when he says it to her, he says it just like that. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And uh, the woman doesn't quite get it. Again, we can be so slow. She doesn't quite get it. So Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water, because they're at a well, he says, will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. What he's saying is that you come and drink water and you'll be thirsty again. But what I give you, you won't thirst. He's saying the significance, the love, the, 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 the security you're looking for, I can give you that and he's saying it isn't going to be like keep searching for outside things it's going to well up from inside you God's going to come into your life and produce in you a change that is going to produce these things love acceptance purpose destiny security that's what he's saying to her but she still the woman can't quite grasp this so Jesus goes further and he says this he says go and get your husband and the woman replies I have no husband and Jesus says to her you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. And it's when he says that that something clicks in this woman and she thinks, hang on, I've gone from relationship to relationship to relationship, believing it will fulfil me. It never has. Jesus is saying, if I come to him, I can find fulfilment. She was looking for something in relationships that she could never get. Now, is it wrong to have relationships? Of course it isn't. God wants us to find a life partner. But there is, you can't attain the a full measure of fulfilment and, and, and destiny and purpose and love and acceptance, these things we crave from that relationship. If you do, if you put that onto that relationship, it will crush. It can't handle that way. Nothing can handle the weight of what you need to be fulfilled by except God. We've got to come. It's the only place we can go. So we desperately squirm around all different places, trying different things, and yet it's only God who can provide what we need. It's only God who can actually handle and provide what we need. And so with myself, just going to my story, 
I, like the woman at the well, had tried many different things in life. I had, I'd tried relationships, but I'd tried loads of other things. I tried the pursuit of money, a career, relationships, and then eventually, in sort of depression, I ended up on, 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 on heroin and, and crack cocaine. And really, I was at a place where suicide was a good option for me. I, I thought the only way I can get any sort of peace, any sort of sense of fulfilment, or you know, is to end my life. That was a very real prospect and as I say this man came into this hospital and he just simply told me similarly as I am today about how I could know God how God loved me how he could accept me and forgive me how he could provide for my needs and how he had a plan and a purpose for my life and what happened was after he told me this was I made a decision to pray a simple prayer I knew that that, that, that what this man was saying was that Jesus could provide what I was thirsting for and I prayed a simple prayer it went something like this God forgive me for going after other things. Lord God, I now ask you to come into my life. It was just, God, I'm turning away from the rest of that stuff. It's, it's brought me no joy ultimately. I'm turning to you, God. Come into my life. And it was a simple prayer. I didn't even understand fully what I was praying, but I prayed a simple prayer. Once I did that, everything changed for me. It was like from the moment I prayed that, the desire to use drugs ebbed away from me. Before I was so enslaved to it, I'd had treatment and counselling and all sorts. It just began to ebb away. Everything began to change. One, and these are, I'm going to quickly explain the four things that happened. The first one is this love. Unconditional, everlasting love began to be produced in my heart. Just, just like that. Pray to prayer. God, forgive me for going after all these other things. Lord, now I turn to you. Come into my life. Love began to be produced. Romans 5, 5, it says this. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So within me, from, you know, in this, he talks about this spring that will well up in you. That's what it was like. Love began to well up in me. Suddenly I had a love for, for God. Suddenly I had a love for others. So what, what was being produced in me, suddenly I knew I was loved, accepted by God. I knew I was like a child of God. It's, you can't fully explain it or, or communicate it, but I just knew it. And what happened was is it welled up in me, this spring, of everlasting life, it flowed out into my life. I began to love others, bless others, care for others. It, it was changing me. The next thing was worth and significance. My life had no plan, no purpose, no direction. I was hopelessly lost. As I gave my life to God, asked Jesus to come in, suddenly God starts guiding me. Suddenly I start getting direction. Listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And what happened was when I made a decision for God, he started to reveal his plan and his purpose for me. And let me tell you, the plan, the purpose that God's got for you is the absolutely best thing for you. Why? Because God made you. God knows you. He knows exactly what's right for you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. So for years, I'd futilely been kind of going after my own plan, my own purpose, never fulfilling me, never reaching any satisfaction. But suddenly I turn to God, suddenly I start coming into the plan God's got for me. Suddenly I start to know worth, significance as God directs me gives me my life plan and purpose and finally I began to know a security now what I mean by that was fear and uncertainty for the future uh, began to ebb away and uh, what what I mean by that is I don't mean bad things don't happen to you if you become a believer, because bad things do happen, actually. But God gives you a capacity, an ability to endure, but not just that, but God says that in these things, he's working for your good. Hang on. 
Get, get a load of this. God is saying that when you're in God, living in his plan and purpose, even when bad things happen, he'll turn them for your good. So he's saying to me, every struggle that comes to me, every difficulty that comes, actually God's working it for my good. God's blessing me through it. So what does that mean? It means nothing can happen in my life that God isn't in control of. Before I was going through life, uncertain, unsure, fears, hesitant. now I'm confident. Why? Because God's in control. God's got everything under his control. He is guiding my life. And what accompanied this confidence was I lost uneasiness. I was always uneasy. I was edgy. There was a, a, someone said to me, addiction is a disease. And I said, well, if by that you mean addiction is dis-ease, then that's what I've got. Because I was at dis-ease. I was never comfortable. I was always, you know, sort of squirming, never quite at peace. Suddenly, when I made this decision for Christ, peace came, contentment came. No more need to strive endlessly. God met my deepest desires for love, significance, and security. And it happened when... Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence amongst us. And we thank you, Lord, that Moses could say to Hobab, come with us and we'll do you good. And it wasn't about anything that he had. It wasn't about having a map or even knowing a destination, but rather it was his confidence in your presence his confidence in you going with them. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning that we would have such a confidence in you. I pray you'd give us a real boldness, give us a real confidence in the gospel and a confidence in your presence, knowing that as we experience you, knowing that as our friends experience you, that they'll be changed, it will do them good. Father, our heart is that we'd see many come to faith in you, see you... Uh, work in their lives. We want to see you lifted up. We want to see many come to faith in this city and beyond. And so, Father, we pray that you might use us in the process. Even though you don't have to, you choose to. And so this morning, we want to say that we're available to you. We want to say, Lord, that we're here for you. Would you be exalted and glorified amongst us, please? In Jesus' name. Give you security. So if today you're saying, yes, Spencer, I'd like you to pray with me. I want to invite this God into my life. Then very quickly, right now, I want to ask you to raise up your hand. Just slip up your hand really quickly. It's just between you, me, and God. If you're saying, yeah, today I want to pray, pray. Fantastic. Well done. Excellent. Guy right here. Right. And excellent. Fantastic. Lady on the left there at the back, I see you. Fantastic. Anyone else saying, Spencer, pray with me today. I want to invite this God into my life. I want to know that fulfillment. Fantastic. A guy at the back there, I see you. Well done. Excellent. Anyone else saying, pray with me today, Spencer. I want to invite this God into my life. I want to ask him to forgive me for going my own way. I now want to live for God. I want to know this fulfillment, this peace, this plan, this destiny that God's got for me. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise up your hand really quickly. Fantastic, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Seen you, thank you. Okay, I'm going to pray in just a moment. Anyone else? If if God's on your case, let me tell you, your heart is probably racing and uh, you're thinking, I want to respond, but I know where I'm putting my hand up. I just want to encourage you, take this opportunity, slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Today, you can begin a journey with God. You can come into that destiny that God's got for you. It starts with a prayer. Okay. Oh, okay, fantastic. Fantastic. Another guy at the back there. Okay, well, we're going to pray. Four people have responded. That's fantastic. What I want to ask us to do is I'd like to pray and I'd like us to all pray together. Can we do that so that it's easier for those who've responded? And I want to say to you, if you've responded today uh, and you pray this prayer, you're going to begin a journey with God. It says 
that God says anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Anyone who calls on his name. So here we go. Follow after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for chasing after things that can never fulfill me. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn to you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. Give, give these people a hand. Can we? Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.